Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, back in the early 1900s uh, in the United States, there was a, a man named Joe Hill who was uh, born in Sweden but was here as a, a, an itinerant worker in the United States, and he was a member of the Wobblies. You ever heard of the Wobblies? Well, the Wobblies was what they called the members of, it was called the, uh, the Industrial Workers of the World, a union, a labor union. And back in these days, right, there was some really hard stuff going on between uh, labor and management and unions. But anyway, so they were known as the Wobblies. Now, uh, he was somewhat of a musician. And so he wrote songs to promote the cause of the workers. Uh, One of the songs he he, uh, wrote really caught on, grew in popularity. It was entitled, The Preacher and the Slave. And what it was, was a criticism of the Salvation Army and their theology and their philosophy of ministry. It accused them of concentrating so much concern on the salvation of people's souls instead of helping the poor and feeding the hungry. Now, I don't know anything about the merits of what he was saying at that time or not. Uh, Typically, I think of the Salvation Army as being focused on both, but whatever, that was uh, uh, his criticism. And so he wrote a song that parodied, parodied the old hymn that the Salvation Army often sang and which I sang for many years in, in church, the sweet by and by. You guys familiar with that? You've heard it someplace probably? Anyway, so he wrote a parody of it. And I'm gonna try to sing it here for you. Okay, here we go. Long-haired preachers come out every night, try to tell you what's wrong and what's right. But when asked how about something to eat, they will answer with voices so sweet. You will eat by and by in that glorious land above the sky. Work and pray, live on hay. You'll get pie in the sky when you die. And uh, that's where the origin of this phrase, pie in the sky, comes from in our language. Uh, and it's, it's typically usually used as a criticism of Christianity, that it's all about the future, you know, don't you look forward to heaven, and if it has no effect on earth, then it's just irrelevant on earth. Now, I don't believe that's true at all. And I want to start with today and deal with today and the next two Sundays is a reality that, and pie in the sky does come across as derogatory, but what I want to say to you is that our future hope is an essential part of living the Christian life now. Okay? God's intention is that the life that we're heading toward and going to have is supposed to make a difference today. Supposed to make a difference in how I look at the world and how I live my life this day. And so both are an essential part 
Now, it is true, you know, that we could just put all of our, when it comes to being Christian and going to church on Sunday and worship and think that it's all about someplace in the future and doesn't affect our lives right now. Can Christians live that way? Can they? Yes, should they? Different answer, right? And Christians, you know, we could, the point is it can go either way, but that's not God's intent. God's intent that there would be a balance, that each affects the other, okay? But, but one has priority over the other. If we looked in Ephesians chapter two, we would discover that the apostle Paul says that in some way, the moment I received Jesus as Savior, being a spiritual being, that I am reborn, he comes to live within me, but somehow I am also with him where he is. And where's that? He's in seated in the heavenly place. So somehow there is a spiritual reality in which I am already at the pie in the sky. Okay? And, and so the intention is, is, is that, that these two things are connected, but one should have priority over the other, all right? And so this idea of pie in the sky, we wanna challenge ourselves and ask us is what are we really living for? What are we really living for? So let's take our Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter three. We wanna see what, what God has to say about this. Colossians chapter three, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one under the chairs there, and it's, uh, we're going to start on page 1,354. So the Apostle Paul in this letter is telling the Corinthians that uh, Jesus is enough, that he is all that they need, uh, that they don't need some other special knowledge or some other experience, that in Christ they have all that they need. And so now he says, because that's true, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to think about. So chapter three, starting in verse one. He says, if then you were raised with Christ. So let's just stop right there. If you then were raised in Christ, what are you talking about? Well, really, that's a way to describe having come to faith in Christ, having been saved, as we often say. Okay? The idea is that uh, when Jesus died, he died for our sins. We know that story, right? Jesus hangs on the cross. God puts all the penalty for my sins and yours and the sins of the whole world on Jesus. He hangs there dying and he dies paying our penalty. Three days later, he rises from the dead to new life. And the Bible says that when we acknowledge our need of a savior and, and uh, we come to the Lord and say, okay, God, yes, I have sinned against you. And then we place our faith in Jesus and what he did, we receive him as savior. Okay, that we now have, uh, every sin is forgiven. We were singing about that. My debt is paid, it is paid in full. And then we have eternal life, in the sense that when this life ends, we go on living with the Lord in heaven, and then God himself moves in and begins to make a change within us. But the Bible also tells us something else. It tells us that it, it just as I was talking a minute ago about a spiritual reality, that somehow or other, spiritually I am connected with, with Christ in heaven as well as here and now. Well, the Bible says that it, it, that moment that I placed my faith in Christ and was saved or born again, it was like I was joined spiritually with Jesus in his death. That the penalty now has been paid. And I also, since I'm joined in union with Jesus, that when he rose, I what? I rose with him to new life. 
Okay, and so that's what he says. If you then were raised with Christ, he's talking about how you experienced that. Those of you who have received Christ as Savior, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's another reference to this idea where our life is inseparably united with Christ who was with the Father. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then he goes on and talks about things that, that we should change in our lives because of this reality. And, uh, but I want to focus in on verses one and two, um, two things that he's saying here. He says, verse one, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Seek those things which are above. Now this word seek in the Greek language, uh, it was uh, affected with Christians by a sort of a Hebrew mindset and it actually is sometimes used with the idea of worshiping. Worshiping those things which are above. Okay, giving them extreme importance to you and value. In English uh, language, one of the definitions for seek is to bend one's efforts toward or to aim at or pursue. And so we put this idea together of worship and purposefully aiming and pursuing. And we come up with this definition to seek equals to seriously pursue something because you highly value it. All right, so you see what he's telling? He's telling us God is telling us that we need to seriously pursue him and the life that we have in him. We need to seriously pursue that because we value it so highly. Well, there's a challenge question for you right now. Do you value it that highly? Do you really value that your relationship with Christ that highly? Man, it's, you know, I think we'd all say we do. Of course we do, but yet we might find ourselves living on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we would say, wait a minute, how does that show that we value that, you know? How, where's the connection there? All right, and so then in verse two, he says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, now uh, when it says set your mind, uh, the King James, the older King James here, translates that affection, see, because it's trying to capture uh, part of the meaning of mind here. And um, maybe before I go to that, sorry, I'm talking about things which are above. Set your, excuse me, set your, seek those things which are above. This idea of above means things that come from a higher place, that hold a higher position, that are superior and more important. All right, so... <laughs> I kind of got ahead of myself there. But seeking those things which are above, pursuing them because they are so important. And why are they so important? Because they are superior. They, they are higher than what we normally experience and live here and now on this earth, all right? And then in verse two, set your mind, your affections, okay? Uh, the Greek word translate, this is all one word, by the way, set your mind. It's just one word in the Greek language. And it communicates the idea of uh, exercising your mind in a way that, that causes you to be mentally disposed towards something, okay? So it's learning to think in such a way that you are already disposed 
toward living that way. And so he says, seek those things which are what? And set your mind on things that are above. Why? Because they're more important. They are superior. And they need to govern this life. These heavenly realities need to govern this life here and now. All right? That's important to understand. And so this idea of focusing our minds. I mean, when, when problems come up in your life, what are your first thoughts? I mean, we have lots of thoughts that come. But the idea is when, when they come up, you know, and maybe some of them are totally non-Christian. Some of them are very Christian. Some of them are in between and confused. But we ought to be on a regular basis, you know, uh, focusing our minds on the things of God so that when that comes up, we are already disposed, mentally disposed to, to recognize and choose God's ways. Does that make sense? In other words, all kinds of ideas are going to come up, right? Okay, so somebody uh, talks really mean to you, just really nasty. All of a sudden, they insult you and all that kind of stuff. All sorts of ideas come up, right? One of the ideas might be, I want to run away from this. Another idea might be, I'm going I'm to win punch, you know, I'm going to do that. And then there's the idea that I need to forgive, I need to let the Holy Spirit guide me, I need His fruit in my life, and I need to respond. So all of those things pop up, but when we're living this way, we are already disposed, mentally disposed. That means we already say, oh, wait, wait, no, here's God's way. See, we've already kind of settled that in our minds, that we want God's way and we're going to choose God's way. And so we see this contrast here. Things that are above, heavenly ways. That's why you know, I chose the, the idea of pie in the sky, something up there beyond us. Or things on the earth. That's the choice here, right? Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Seek those things which are above, not the things that are on the earth. Now, and I already talked about some, but does that mean that we are of no earthly good then because we're so heavenly minded? No. The reality of those truths affects the here and now. But here's what I want you to see today. And then there's a, 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 a challenge that, that God has for us that we need to really zero in on. There are only two kinds of life that a Christian can live. Only two kinds. I'm not including those who don't know the Lord in here because they're already minding the things of the earth and they don't have the spiritual dynamic in their lives, which I'll talk about in a minute. But there are only two kinds of life a Christian can live. And the first is a life that flows out of your relationship with Christ. All right, I have a relationship with Christ. He's in me. I'm in him. There's a spiritual connection and a reality. I am, I am dead now to sin. I'm alive to God uh, all those things, uh, my beliefs, my attitudes, my actions are shaped by my relationship with him. The tr and and the, the idea is that the life I live in the here and now, Jesus is within me, Christ within me, expressing himself through me in this life here and now. Okay? So this is one way a Christian can live. And really it's what Paul's telling us there in chapter 3, isn't he? Live this way because you're, you're seeking the things that are above, not the things that you're, you're setting your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay? So this is one way a Christian can live. 
Sadly, Christians can live a different way. And the other way is this, a life that is disconnected from your relationship with Christ. Now, can, once a person receives Christ as Savior, can they ever be disconnected from Christ spiritually? Can they? No. Because once he saves us, he moves in, he takes ownership, and we do that. But when it comes to how I think about my life and the decisions that I make in my life and then how I live out in my life, I can live in very many ways like I have no relationship with Jesus. I can live a life that's disconnected to him. And I can do that and come to church every Sunday. I can do that and even read my Bible from time to time. But the idea is I am doing my own thing in the here and now. And this life is also, it, it, it's, a, it's shaped by the, the beliefs and the attitudes and the actions that we find in the natural world around us. Okay, and it's, it's driven by the natural desires that we have in this world. Okay, so these are the two kinds of life that are available to us. Now, here's the challenge from God to you today and the question you need to answer, and that's this. Which life are you longing for? Which life are you really, you want so much, you're desiring? Very important. Is it this life that flows out of your relationship with Christ? Is that what you're wanting? Or are you longing for a life that's not that? Which comes natural to us? Which of these two comes natural to us? The first one or the second one? The second one comes natural to us. The first one is supernatural. And it requires us to lean toward the Lord. It requires us to yield ourselves to him. Now, this is the reason this really, really matters. Which life are you longing for? It's because what you long for, you will live for. What you long for, you will live for. Think about a professional athlete who longs to be at the top of his game, to be the champion, to be the best in the world. Uh, and so he's competing. He longs for that. And what does that do? Does that affect when he gets up in the morning? Most likely that affects what he gets up in the morning. Does that affect what he eats and doesn't eat? Most likely it does. Does that affect uh, you know, what he, how he schedules his life? Does it affect what he chooses to do and what he chooses not to do? Right, it what? He longs for this and so it affects everything else. And the Bible uses this kind of analogy for us. And so when we long for something, we will live for it. What about a young man or a young woman who has just fallen in love and they are head over heels in love? Does that affect what they think about when they wake up? Does it affect what they think about when they go to bed? Does it affect the decisions they make in the day, what they do when they have freedom to make choice? Man, it affects everything, doesn't it? Because what they long for, they're living for. And I'm not saying any of those are bad. That's not my point. But the idea is what we need to long for is a life that just flows out of our relationship with Christ. And when we do, that means we're going to pursue that relationship. It's going to be at the top of our list. And it is going to govern all of the other things that we think and do. Okay? So let's just take a, a, a look at the contrast between. The 
before we do that, let me show you. Maybe I need to take some more electrolytes or something. I don't know. Before I, before I do that, let me just share a passage of Scripture, two passages of Scripture with you. Okay? Paul says in the book of Romans, he says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And by death, he doesn't mean your body necessarily dies. It will die someday. But this idea, it's connected with death. It's not connected with the life of God. Not connected with the life of Christ in your relationship with him. A carnal, natural mind is death. The other side, the life, when, when we're spiritually minded and the, we're, we're letting the life of Christ, you know, flow out into our lives. And that's what we're living for. That brings peace and life. In Proverbs chapter 14, the same verse is in there twice, identically. Chapter 14, chapter 16 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. It's end, right? So the same idea again, this contrast between the kind of life that God has saved us for and called us to versus just living life here on this level. So the Christian life is not the same as a natural life. The Christian life is a supernatural life, okay? It's above a natural life because it's seek those things which are what? Set your mind on things above, see? And so the Christian life is supernatural. It's above, it's over the natural life. So here's some contrast. The natural life is lived only in this current physical realm. The Christian life is lived from above and within and then is expressed outwardly into this physical realm. So we all live in the same place, don't we? Okay, but it's a different kind of life. The natural life is lived in the here and now with an eye to the here and now. The Christian life is lived in the here and now with an eye to eternity. Natural life finds its strength in physical attributes, personality traits, human techniques. And the Christian life finds its strength in the indwelling presence of Christ that then expresses itself outward through us using our physical attributes, personality traits, and appropriate techniques. Natural life is driven and prioritized by natural desires. And the Christian life is driven and prioritized by God's spirit and our spirit giving us God-given desires. And the natural life is missing the spiritual dynamic and eventually leads to a dried up, withered soul. James talks about that. The Christian life is inseparable from the working of the Holy Spirit and leads to a healthy, vibrant, fully alive soul. And I'm sure we could go on and and make some real practical applications about those things. But I think you probably get the gist of it. Now, how do we recognize the difference in our lives? You know, wait a minute. Am I living this life that's flowing from my relationship with Christ? Am I doing that? Or am I living disconnected from him? How would I know? How would you know? Well, God helps us with that. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We looked at this last week when the Apostle Paul said, hey, I'm not going to get caught up in all sorts of uh, philosophy and, and man's ideas. I'm just going to preach to you Christ and him crucified and what he's done for us and what that means. And so we're kind of continuing on that. Verse number 12. 
says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Now let's stop there, but you see, we, we keep having this contrast, don't we? Heaven, God, Christ, in our lives, expressing himself outward in our world, or disconnected from that, just living in this world. All right, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, there's this contrast again, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, and by this would be the unsaved man, and but what it's saying also would apply to a Christian who lives like they're unsaved. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, so how are we going to know how to live the life we're talking about? Well, it's a spiritual discernment that has to go on. But he who is spiritual judges all things, that he himself is rightly judged by no one. That's kind of another issue that Paul's talking about. Verse 16, he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Who, who can tell God what needs to happen or what needs to be done? Then he says, here's the contrast. But we have the mind of Christ. <laughs> we have the mind of Christ. Does that mean when I got saved, all of a sudden, bing, I see everything the way Jesus does? No. When he says, we have the mind of Christ, he's talking about we as Christians. The mind of Christ is available to us. We have that as ours to, to look to and use. And, and so where do we find the mind of Christ? Well, prime resource, the word of God, right? How am I supposed to look at things? If I'm connected with the Lord and I want that to govern my life, how do I, how do I live that way? What do I do? So the word of God, but we have also, we have the spirit of God within us, the Holy Spirit of God in us who will help us to understand what God says, help us to understand what Christ would, is like and how he would have us live. We have the Holy Spirit. And then we have each other. We have the body of Christ in whom the Holy Spirit indwells and us together and the spirit of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and uh, the word of God, all of us together, we can arrive at conclusions. What does it mean to live this way? And we can live that way and encourage each other and do those things. Now, for you to experience this life and to live it to its, the way God intends for it, and really the way if you're a Christian deep down you want to live, you need to make some conscious choices to seek it. I'm going to long for this. This is what I want. And if, if, if you will make that decision, it will begin to affect how you look at everything. It'll begin to affect even how you see the choices that are before you, much less choosing the right choice. We see this in, in, uh, expressed in the Psalms. Uh, David writes this here. He says, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. I'm doing this on purpose, just like the athlete who gets up early in the morning to you know, pursue so as, a, as your, uh, one of your people, God, early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you and longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So the picture of someone who was just so thirsty. You ever been so thirsty 
that you just, you know, you're about ready to do whatever it takes to get a drink. <laughs> okay? That's the way we need to be in our relationship with God. This is what I want. I am thirsty for you, God. I am longing for your life. Uh, Psalm 119, David says, my soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. I have a longing to know, God, what you're saying and what, you know, your way of looking at the world. I, I have a longing for this. We need to, to approach life this way. So you think about your life right now. What's going on in your life that is an example of this is your longing? Or you start to look at your life and you say, wow, you know, I do. When I get up, how I make my decisions about my schedule, you know, what I'm doing with my time, my money, my relation. Oh, wow, I, I could live that way without a relationship with Jesus. Whoa, when we can see that, then we got to say, wait a minute, this needs to change. God, I long for a different kind of life. I long for the life that you have for me because what you long for, you will what? Live for. All right. Now, I want to encourage you that if you will make this decision, if you will begin to long for this kind of life, I want to show you what, what God will do for you. Let's go to Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, we see... Uh, in the first uh, six verses, an expression of how God has revealed himself in creation. And then the psalmist starts talking about um, how God has revealed himself in his word and how he feels about it. All right, so Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. He's talking about God's revelation in his word. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Okay, so all of these good things and descriptions, and then see what he says next. He says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Anybody besides me would like to have a little more gold? Yeah, I wouldn't mind if I, you know, dug a hole in my backyard and found some gold bullion, right? I mean, I could do a lot of stuff. More to be desired are the things that God has given us in his word than gold. More than even a lot of gold. Do you see the, the desire of, of the psalmist's heart here? Man, I want what God has for me. That's more valuable than anything. Verse 11, moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Boy, I long for that. And then the psalmist looks at himself and goes, uh-oh. <laughs> Man, this is what God has is so great. But then I look at myself and I go, oh, no. Anybody else ever do that? I sometimes you know, look, at, and then look at myself and go, oh, no. So in verse 12, he says, who can understand his errors? Then he says to God, cleanse me from secret faults. Show me even those things I don't know and understand. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Do you see his longing? His longing is what? For his life to match what God has said in his word. 
And then he says this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. This is my longing, God, that my life would be what you want it to be. Now, normally we don't do this, but I want to just keep zipping right on into chapter 20. Okay, let's look. Here's a response. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Okay, so all of these things that you found in his word and you began to try to live by, God takes note. And he will work because of, he will bless you. You will experience the fruit of planting this good seed. You will reap what you've sown on the good side. And then he says this, verse 4. May he grant you according to your, read those two words with me. Heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. See, do you have a longing? Do you have a longing for this life that God wants you to live? And what he sent his son to die for you so you could live. And what he came to live within you so he could live. And why he gave his word to you so you could live. Right? Do you have a longing for that? If you do, God is going to respond. You can count on it. So, here's what we need to have as a focus of our lives in, in Psalm um, I forget what it is. Go to that next psalm if you would there. My soul longs. Yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, God, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. What's that about? That means that I recognize I'm not just living for the here and now. The here and now is on the way somewhere, right? We are on a pilgrimage. We are going from here to there. The pie in the sky, heaven, eternal glory, and all that God has planned there. And he says, blessed is the man who trusts in you. See, God will respond. And then in Psalm 107, he says, for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. So what is your longing today? What are you longing for? Which life are you longing for? A life that flows from your relationship with Christ? Or you go, nah, I, I got it all covered here. I'm going to live like I'm disconnected from that. Because what you long for, you will live for. Now, I want you just to really, and you have been, but just settle back and just listen for a little bit. I'm not going to give you a verse to look up or put any other slide on the screen. I want to talk to you about something that Jesus said. This is a situation where Jesus had asked the disciples, who do people say I am? And then, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus says, yep, the Holy Spirit enabled you to understand that and see that. It's so good. And then it says that from that point, Jesus uh, began to tell his disciples what was going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to take me uh, into their captivity. They are going to, you know, in essence, torture me, uh, and I am going to die. He's telling them this. Well, Peter, who just a little bit earlier had listened to God, listened to the Spirit, 
and replied so well, now pulls Jesus aside. And let me read you the word. It says, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That doesn't sound like a good idea to me. But he takes him aside and rebukes him because he obviously isn't. He's living in this life, thinking this way. And he said, no, Lord, you know, that's not going to happen. We're not going to let that happen. And then it says this. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter is doing Satan's bidding, which is opposing God's plans and God's ways in our lives. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Wait, wait. Doesn't that sound like something we already talked about today? What are you mindful of? Seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Well, Peter wasn't. He was mindful not of the things of God, but of the things of earth, the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? But right in between those two verses I just read, he said this. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so it is when you're looking which life am I going to choose? If you choose to hold on to this one, separate from the other, I'm gonna, I, I got the things that are important to me, the things I've invested in, my plans, my desires, and you choose to live that life, eventually you lose it all. Because nothing else, you're going to die and it's going to go away. And it certainly might get worse before then. But you're going to die, it's going to go away, and you're going to stand in the judgment seat of Christ, and it will all be burned, and you will suffer loss. You will lose it. But if you make a choice to say, God, I give this all up to you, I want your life. I want to follow you. I want your life to be in me and flow out through me. I want to pattern my life. You'll get that. God will absolutely give you that. And you know what you find out? is that all these things that you enjoyed that were so important, you just might get to enjoy in a better way than you ever would have if you tried to hang on to them. Because if you're hanging on to it and it's working against you versus God giving you some, the same thing and having it work before you. One of the great examples of that back in the book of Proverbs, it says that when God gives riches to somebody, he doesn't add sorrow with it. See the same idea? Search for riches, search for riches. Sorrow comes with it inevitably. But if you would say, okay, God, I, that's not my goal anymore. That's not my purpose. I want what you want. And then God leads you to do things in such a way where he provides riches, no sorrow. So see this idea, if we'll choose to have our lives flow out of the life of Christ and we will set our hearts on that and dispose our minds toward it and long for it, then we gain a life that is so much bigger, so much greater, so much more eternal, such more, so much more significant than any life we would try to hold on to.
and say no to God about. So, which life are you longing for? Make sure it's the right one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you tell us these things and you show us a better way than what comes natural to us. And I pray, Lord, we'd, we'd really ponder these things and think upon them and, and where we have headed away from you and doing our own thing. Maybe not even with ill intent, but we've done it, Father. I pray that we would repent of that and, and yield to you and turn back to you and that we would look to you and long for the life that you have for us and what you want to do in us and through us. Don't let us be deceived, Father, by the lies of the enemy in the world around us. Please stir our hearts and give us no peace until we choose you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Go have a great week living this life with the Lord.